Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. We've heard that word a lot lately, haven't we? Hey, welcome back. So I've been figuring this out. The last time I stood on this stage was the day we announced that I was going on a six-week sabbatical that lasted 20 weeks. And there is nobody in this room that is more excited to be back than me. I want to hug every one of you, but my wife won't let me. (laughs) And neither will our staff. And so it's good to be back. Uh, if you didn't join us the last two weeks, you missed two really good weeks, and so I would, I would try to catch up because we talk, talked about unprecedented things that happen. Um, but I love that last part there, and it just says unprecedented and miraculous. And that's when I think of the word unprecedented, unprecedented I think about miraculous, miracles. I don't think about all the stuff, the pandemic and all that. And I, I just want to be honest with you, I have struggled very much so for today because uh, 20 weeks, I have lots of thoughts going through this little pea brain of mine that I wanted to talk about. And there's a lot in the world that we could talk about, right? And we could talk about the, the virus. We could talk about racial tension. We can talk about, I mean, fires. We can talk about all that kind of stuff. Um, and all of those things are very worthy of being talked about, okay? I just want everybody to understand, because I'm not talking about them today doesn't mean they're not important to me. But I want to talk about the most unprecedented thing that ever happened. Viruses, riots, gang violence, violence, whatever you want to, none of that holds a candle to what we're going to talk about today, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so that's unprecedented in my opinion. Stop looking at me. <laughs> oh. So Easter time, y'all remember Easter? So people all over the world, like that was the other, I mean, and we missed Christmas too, didn't we? And we missed Christmas. Do y'all remember like we were watching, we were watching people like preachers, like with, with phones doing messages. And we were watching like, like if they were really sophisticated, they still did it on their stage. They had full band. If you were like us, we just did it on the back porch of a preacher's house and it was really good, but it doesn't hold a candle to this right here, does it? And so I want to talk about that today because I really do believe that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, honestly, the unprecedented power there is the answer to every struggle we have in our world right now if you would just tap into that unprecedented power. And every struggle we have in our personal life, if we tap into that unprecedented power right there, it'll change the way we look at our lives. It, it'll change the circumstances. So we got to talk about this. So I want to go back to the very kind of the, the very beginning, Thursday night. Think about this, Thursday night. Jesus is hanging out with his homies. He's with his best friends. All his disciples are there. And all of a sudden, all you know what, all hell breaks loose that night. Uh, a storm uh, of soldiers come in and they capture him and they take him to the high priest's house and they tether him to, a, to a, some type of prison cell. And all that stuff's going on. In the midst of this, Jesus told his disciples that one of them was going to be uh, betraying him and another was going to disown him. All this stuff. And then Friday, he goes before the, uh, the religious leaders on that Friday and he gets, he gets a sentence, a death sentence for really just proclaiming that he was like God. He, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life and no man comes to the Father. That's why they put him in jail. Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or I am the way, the truth, and the light and no man, no man, I'm the door. That's why they put him and that's, why they, that's where they're gonna execute him. So that Friday afternoon, they start the execution process. And it's a story whether we want to believe it or not, it's a story of a bloody cross. We, we like to kind of move away from all that part because we don't like that kind of stuff, but the resurrection story has to take place through that bloody cross. 
And so the most horrific death, stripes on his back, pulling his beard out, making him to the point where he was unrecognizable. And then on top of that, they, they nail him to a tree. They nail him in spots so he has to hang there. And they nail, nail him to a place where he's literally lo- losing his breath as he's trying to capture it every time. And then he yells out, lie, lie, Ramasabakni, why have, which means why have you, my dad. Dad, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the weight of the world, the sins of every person in humanity, ones before and after, were laid on his shoulder. And the Bible says that the father turned his back because sin was so bad. They lay him in a grave. Saturday morning. I think the disciples are hanging out in front of the grave and there's no hope. Have you ever had all your hope taken out of your life? Maybe something's happened that's taken all hope. Maybe it's a loss of a child or a loss of a loved one and there's no hope. And now the disciples are starting to run, run around and wonder, like, why did I invest my life in this? And now, now there's nothing to show for it. And we, we, we know the story. If you don't, I'll give you the Sunday morning. The disciples are in front and they look in the grave and the tomb, the stone that was in front of it had been rolled away. That's unprecedented. It's never happened before and it'll never happen again. And because of that unprecedented power, we can literally latch on to power that's way beyond us. Next week, I'm gonna speak from Acts chapter one eight. You may wanna do a little you know, pre-reading. It's, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll be my witnesses. And it talks about being witnesses all across the world. Unprecedented power. But I want, I want us to just latch on to this because today I want to do three vantage points. There's three characters that were at that empty tomb that day that if we look at, I believe every one of us, kind of our lives, our stories, as we've been singing about this morning, kind of parallel and run through and run around the same three stories. And as we look at these vantage points, I want you to think about your own personal walk, your own personal testimony, your story, how Christ came in your life. Or maybe if you're not a Christ follower yet, Maybe you'll even identify some things in the characters and go, wow, I'm just like that. That's me. That's how I feel. And the first vantage point I'd like to look at, just for a couple seconds, is the vantage point we see that in spite of Mary Magdalene's grief, there was still unprecedented power. We see the unprecedented power of Christ, even though she, she, was, she was mourning and she was sorrowful. And the gospel of John tells us that they were all standing there, all the disciples, they saw the empty tomb. And, and, and I don't know if you'd realize this, they, they literally thought that the, the body was stolen, not that the body, body was resurrected. Jesus had become such an enemy of, of, of that culture and the religious leaders. There was talks of taking his body so there could be no resurrection if it was possible to happen. And so Mary, Magdalene, and the rest of the, the, the disciples are sitting there and they're looking at this empty tomb and right away in their mind, they're thought, we gotta get out of here because we're next. And so one by one, the disciples started peeling away, Peter, James, John, all of them start peeling away. But Mary's sitting there in her grief, looking at an empty tomb, eyes filled with tears. Could you imagine that moment? All your hopes, all your dreams. Everything you'd put. The one that saw something in you that nobody else saw. That was Mary Magdalene. And she's in that moment right there. All of them leave and she stays behind. And I love this. She hears a voice. You know, first thought of mine was, you know, did she think it was the gardener that was taking care of her? Did she think it was the person that was in charge of the cemetery there? Somebody started talking to her. And we read about it in John chapter 20, verse 16. 
And I love this. And it's so, so important. Since Jesus said to her, how about this? Called her by name. Didn't say, didn't say woman, didn't say follower, said, said, she's Mary. She turned and said to him in, in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. It goes on to say that Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And he says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. Get, get that one part. If you don't get anything else, he called her by name. He called her by name. He said, Mary, think of Mary outside the tomb, devastated. Her spirit's broken. Her hopes are shattered. Her world in many ways has come to an end. All she can remember is how thing, the way things should have been or how she thought they could be. Some of the other ones already made their decisions. Some are going to go back to fishing. Some are going to go back to being tax collectors. Everybody was kind of scattering. And there's Mary at the tomb. And Jesus calls her by name. I'm going to be as honest as I can be. We have a lot to grieve about in this world we live in, don't we? Especially over the last 16 or so weeks. I never thought, 54 years old, I would ever see the world in the shape and condition it is right now. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that things, will, some things will never go back to being, I almost called this series weird. Because that's what everything is right now, it's weird. I was telling one of my brother, one of my friends, I call him, he's my, one of my brothers. I said, here's the scary thing is, I know there's rules, I just don't know the rules anymore. And if somebody would just tell me the rules, just tell me the rules, I'll follow the, some of the rules. But I, I was thinking about this all week. Like, there's a lot to grieve about, but there's a lot more to rejoice about, isn't there? And in the, in the, in the chaotic, crazy, unprecedented situation we're in, there's still hope that we read about. Like in Psalms 34, 18, one of my, one of my verses, it says, Psalms 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Somebody needs to hear that right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how bad it seems. I don't know what you're grieving over. I don't know what it looks like in your world, but I know this, God's made a promise. And he called her by name, Mary, in the midst of your grief, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of your confusion. I'm still a God you can trust. I'm still a God you can trust in. I, I was at a funeral Thursday night, which that was one of the weird things that's happened over this last 20 weeks is we can't do funerals the way we have been doing funerals. And so we have to wait sometimes to to do proper burials. So I did a funeral Thursday of somebody that died several weeks ago. And I was reading through the book of Job. I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Job. You may want to read it sometime. It's a really powerful book. It's a story of redemption. A lot of people think it's just a story of all the mass destruction because Job loses everything. He loses his family, his kids, all his money, all his possessions, everything. He loses everything. And the Bible says that he rolls around on the ground in sackcloth and ashes. They, 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 that's, that was the sign of mourning. So he would roll in, in David's day. So you go fast forward David's day, they would get naked and run through the streets. We're not going to do that at Journey. Right? We're not going to do that at Journey. And we're probably not going to do the sackcloth and ashes thing either. But that's what they would do. But if you read through the book of Job, all this death and all this destruction, and all these problems and all these struggles. But he said this one key phrase, my redeemer still lives. See, in the midst of all this, when, he, when she saw Jesus and called her by name, it was that moment right there where her heart that was sunk all of a sudden started coming alive again. Mary, Mary, in all your grief, your Redeemer lives. And Mary, in everything that's going on, with all the chaos, with all the confusion, with even people coming against you, Mary, your Redeemer lives. Let me let you in on a secret. I don't know what your name is. I know some of you. 
but he's calling you by name. With all your struggles and all the problems and all the issues and everything that go along with the world that we live in, he's calling you by name. He's saying, Eddie, he's saying, Eddie, Chad, he's he's calling us Tim. He's calling us by name. So regardless of what we think the world and, and how the world is kind of heading, we still have a God that knows every detail about us. One of the verses that I've been reading every day uh, throughout the course of this whole uh, 20 weeks is Revelation chapter 21. And I love this. And this is a promise. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Somebody say amen to that. This is talking about heaven, by the way. This isn't talking about here. Um, here he says, you'll have struggles and troubles of many kinds, right? We're going to have struggles and trials of many kinds. I, I wish it was just, I, I was telling somebody this the other day, I wish, I wish that when James wrote that, I wish James would have said, you'll have some struggles. But he had to put that many in there. And I don't like the many. But on the other side of eternity, he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. And death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things, the Bible says, have passed away. And we have a new place, a new heaven, a new earth, an alpha and omega. We'll stand before the Father. So in the midst of all this, we can learn a lot from Mary, can't we? About even in the midst of grief, God showed her unprecedented power. The next snapshot is this one here. It's a really, really important one. We see God's unprecedented power in spite of Peter's past. Did you ever think about this? I think last week we talked about Peter walking on water. They were the good times, right? But you remember that Thursday night? That story, that little dialogue between Jesus and Peter? And we're going to read it in a second. But it wasn't flattering. But Jesus says, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to be crucified. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Who, who, who? And, and Jesus literally says this to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. There, there was something that was happening right there. So in the midst of that whole moment, Peter is being told that he's going to deny Jesus. Can you imagine that? This is a long, lengthy passage. We, we got to get it. Three times, three times, Peter denies Jesus. Luke chapter 22, it says this. It says, then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest. This was Thursday night. And Peter was following at a distance. Why was he following at a distance? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that when sometimes when people press us about our faith, we follow Jesus at a distance? It says, when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Verse 56, then a servant girl seeing him, he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man was also with him. You were with Jesus. You were right there. Wow, this is powerful. But he denied it. Saying, woman, I don't know him. First time. I said, a little while later, someone else saw him and said, you, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean, verse 60. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster that Jesus prophesied about crowed. And then the Lord, could you imagine this little dialogue? And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Right then, 
all the guilt, all the shame wasn't being put on by Jesus, but it was already put on him. He had just denied, just like it was talked about. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he says he went out and he wept bitterly. Just stop there. Boy, you want to talk about an understatement. He wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. I'm sure at that moment, Peter was saying to himself, it's all over, I'm done. There's no hope for me. I just denied, he told me I was gonna deny him and I ended up denying him. And then we see at that moment of the resurrection when the tombstone is rolled away, we see maybe the, let's see the, most, maybe the two most powerful words that Peter ever heard. We, we read about it right here in, in, in Mark chapter 16, verse seven. Mark chapter 16, verse seven. It says, but go tell his disciples. So just hold right there. Like don't even look at that yet. He says, go tell all the disciples what's happened. Go tell everybody else what's going on. Go tell Matthew, go tell Mark, go tell Nathaniel, go tell, you know, tell everybody. And by the way, would you make sure that Peter knows too? Would you, and Peter, would you make sure that Peter knows that just like I promised, I want him to know that all his past has been washed away. He's saying, and Peter, and that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I think they're the most two powerful words that Peter needed to hear that day. And how many times, how many times I've heard this great story. And by the way, tell Bobby. Tell Mike. By the way, he's down right now. Guilt-ridden. They're struggling. Just tell Bobby. And tell Bobby. How powerful a moment is that? It's one of those things. And Peter. The one who proved himself to be a quitter and a coward, tell him. Tell, tell the one that's failed over and over again, that's given every reason that Jesus would pass him by. Tell that guy there. Tell him. Tell him. I, I said, tell him that Jesus, tell him I'm alive. Not by a show of hands, but that's how some of us feel sometimes, don't we? That we've fallen so far away from God. And we just need somebody to, and Bobby. No matter how bad your past may be, he told Peter, didn't he? I think he tells us. I love this word picture that Isaiah has. And it says this, it says, I am the one who blots out your transgressions. It's like there's a sin there on a piece of paper. You ever played, anybody ever played bingo? I played bingos with, with seniors, ruthless, me, I'm a horrible loser. But you ever play bingo and the B, whatever, B12, that's a vitamin, isn't it? And you blot, you blot it out, right? And you, you can't see it anymore. If you use the good stuff, it covers it all up. Well, that's what he's saying in this passage. I'm blotting out your sin, never to be seen anymore. I, I blot out all your transgressions for my, my own sake. And I will remember what? I will never again remember your sins. And Peter, and Peter, I don't remember your sins anymore. And Peter, listen, I don't remember. When Jesus died on the cross that Good Friday, everything past, present, and future that we could ever do was washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. Regardless of how bad it was, regardless of how big it was, regardless of our, you know, the struggles we've had, regardless of how many times we fall, he blots out 
Hey, disciples, tell Peter. Tell Peter. And the last one is this. The last kind of viewpoint, vantage point, I think is so important. It's a vantage point that I think a lot of us fall into this category. We see, and I want you to notice, we see God's unprecedented power in spite of Thomas and his doubts. Lots of doubt right now, isn't there? Lots, lots of things that are confusing right now. But you know what? I realize this. We give Thomas a hard time, don't we? All he wanted to see is what the other disciples had already seen. See, it's funny how we, and we do this in people's lives all the time, we signal out one little moment or one little paragraph or one little chapter of their lives and we forget all the stuff before it and all the stuff after it. We forget that Jesus appeared to the other disciples and they acted the same exact way. We see it in John chapter 20, verse 19. Read this with me. It says this. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked. I love this. The doors being, this is the most sterile, under, like, 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 it's like, okay. Day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. He walked through the door, y'all. Peace is not the word I'm thinking of. The word is, I need a new pair of underbridges. Jesus walks through the door. Verse 20, when he said, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them, what did he show them? He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Whoa, 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 we don't want to read that before. Thomas is the only one that didn't need to, need to see all that, right? We read Thomas like, oh, if you really think I, I'm not who I am, go ahead. No, 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 no. Right before that, and so all he was asking for was the same proof that he had, he had given them. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Now, let, let's read, let's read the, 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 the situation. How are you? And, okay. So when it goes up in verse 20. Now, time, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Oh, wow. So everybody else got a chance, but he didn't. He didn't get to the party in time. So then it goes in verse 25. Says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see, in, see his hands and the mark of, of, of the nails, in verse 26, he said, and the place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Watch this. This is so crazy. 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked. Ooh. It's the same thing he did. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, he said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And I don't know if he did it or not do it, but at that point, I'm going, you're Jesus. <laughs> like, you just came through a door twice. Like, the same thing that he said over there, you're doing here again, you might be the guy. See, here's the deal. Jesus grants Thomas the right to be skeptical, but he doesn't give him the right to remain that way. Think about that for a second. He says, it's okay to doubt a little bit, like, how many people have never doubted? Like, I doubt, like, okay, God, are you even listening to me? Like, there's times, like, please do not throw that spiritual finger in my face and wag it. We all have times of doubt. 
We all have times where we like, God, are you even working? God, are you even in the world? What, what is going on? It's one thing to have questions, but it's another thing to sincerely pursue those questions until truth is found. I think there's lots of people out there that have questions that are just questions because that's how they are. The Bible says in the Old Testament, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. If you really search out for me, you'll find me. See, many people have belief issues, right? Let, let me prove it. Billions of stars in the sky. How many? How many believe that? How many? that that's it, really? Let, let's try this again. I'm gonna give you a chance to redeem yourself. Billions of stars in the sky. How many of you believe that? You go past a wet paint sign, you gotta touch it to see if it's wet. Isn't that true? Did it this week. Billions of stars in the sky. I have belief that my car is going to start and take me everywhere. But wet paint sign is my nemesis. There's a point here, though. Things from afar sometimes are easier to believe than things that are right there. That's why Thomas had the touch. It's easier to believe things that are afar than sometimes the things that are right in front of us, and that's why Thomas needed to touch. Don't pick on Thomas for asking the question. Don't, don't pick on Thomas for wanting to have proof, because that's how every one of us are. In our lives, we want to have proof that he's exactly who he said he is. I love the way verse 28, it drops this really cool moment. It says, then, then answered him, um, uh, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me Yes, but watch this. This is our blessing, by the way. You want a blessing? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. But don't pick on Thomas. Don't, don't, don't pick on Thomas because he asked the question. He was just doing probably what every one of us would do. Their hopes and their dreams were dashed. They thought he was an imposter. Write this down if you're taking notes because you're going to use this sometime later. Thomas wasn't looking for a reason to doubt. He had plenty of them. He was looking for a reason to believe. And listen, without a freedom to doubt, there's not a freedom to believe. So we have to have both. We have to have the freedom to doubt in our lives. We have to have the freedom to do those kind of things. And I'm going to tell you something. There is so many people in this room. There's so many, like myself, I have so many questions and doubts and uncertainties. So, some in this room some watching on TV, some that are going to be at Sherwood. You have doubts about faith. Is, is the Christian faith even the real faith? Some have doubt, doubts whether God's listening. Some have doubts whether he even cares about us. Some are filled with uncertainty about all the stuff. The coming days were filled. So I, I, was, I, was, I was writing stuff down a couple weeks ago, and I'm trying to figure out the things that I believe. Did you ever do that? Like, this is what I believe. I believe this, 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 and this. Kind of like the core values or pillars of, of what we are as believers, right? And you know what I started writing down? I started writing down all the uncertainties, all the things I don't understand. How, how am I doing on time? Am I, am I good? I mean, they told me I had four hours for this message. We're short of that right now. I don't understand. I don't understand. understand why we can't go along. I just, I don't get it. I said, 
said something to a friend of mine the other day. I have no enemies. And I mean that, that's not because I'm super spiritual. I was just raised in a culture. I was raised by mom and dad that we were not allowed to have enemies. We weren't allowed to, I say it a lot still now, but we were not allowed to use the word hate. We had people of all different colors walking in and out of our houses. We just, that's who we were. And so when I see two people that can't get along because of color or because of religious, I just don't get it. I don't get, I wrote this the other day. I don't get why why teenagers get killed sometimes. I don't understand understand why people get divorced. I don't get it. I mean, I get it. But as I was writing these things I don't understand, you know what I started writing down? Things I do understand. I, I understand I have a God that loves me and cares about me. I really do. I understand that. I understand that regardless of the storm, he's going to be in the boat with me. It may seem like he's at the bottom of the ship resting in a cushion, as Mark chapter 4 says. And I may not have the most eloquent prayer like Peter had. Don't you care if we die? That was his prayer. Good one, huh? Don't you care if we die? The Bible says he comes up to the top deck. He speaks to the storm and it calms down. I know we have a God. I, I know a God that, I know I have a God that loves me regardless of my past. at me as his little child and in Zephaniah where it says that he draws me and comforts me by his love almost the picture of a mom or dad holding a little child and the child just being absolutely content I don't understand those other things but I understand these things and that's all Thomas was trying to do Thomas was just trying to figure it out just like we do He wasn't saying, I don't believe in you. He says, I want to believe in you. Yeah, yeah, I need a little spurring of my faith. I need a little help. So here's a question. Out of those three snapshots, those vignettes, do, do any of them reflect personality traits or characteristics that, that we have? Maybe it's battling grief, like Mary at the tomb. Or, or maybe, honestly, we're struggling with our past. And we, well, well, can God ever use me in, with all this stuff? I, Peter, tell him, tell him, tell him. Make sure you tell him. It's really important. You got to tell him. Or Thomas, it, it, here, I'm going to give you the proof. You know what's amazing to me about Thomas? He was killed for his faith. He was given another opportunity to doubt and run away, but instead he ran right to it. So, if you're looking for a reason to believe, over looking for a doubt, I would encourage you to look to Jesus. The resurrection power changed. looks like. I really don't. I have no clue what your story, I know what my story looks like. 
And there's times where I need to, hey, Bobby, or, and Bobby, or Bobby. But today your story can be changed because of that resurrection. So Caleb was right. I didn't get to do Easter. But Easter is every Sunday around here. Because we love the story. And we love the story that changes the story. And today what God wants to do, maybe for some of us in this room, maybe in the atrium, maybe for some that are watching online, maybe for some that are down at Sherwood, he wants to change your story. And maybe, he's, maybe the story is, I've got Jesus in my heart, but I've never fully committed to him. And that's your story starting today. That's your New Testament. I love the words of this song. Can I, can I, I know you're going to sing this song, right? We're going to have a party in a minute. Okay. Hey, they did a great job. My money was on that Justin was going to dive off the stage, but I lost. I, I love this. This is my favorite. This is my favorite part of the song. Says, this is my testimony from, from death to life. From death to life. Because grace rewrote my story, I'll testify. By Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. What's your testimony? Maybe it started out like Mary and grief. Maybe it started like Peter and failure. Maybe it looks a lot like Thomas and Dow, regardless of it. He rewrote their stories and he wants to rewrite ours. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time. And God, I was thinking about this all morning. We talked about it this week. What would a win look like in Journey this week? And a win looks like exactly what we're doing right now. We're having church and we're lifting your name up, Jesus. And God, I believe there's folks in this room, maybe some that have never made a decision to follow you. Today, they are starting their new story. Listen, there is no secret room. There's no secret prayer. There's no secret place. There's no card you have to fill out. All you have to do is ask Jesus right now into your life and say, God, take your place as number one in my life. I need you. I've doubted, but I need you today in my life. Father, for others, it's just taking that next step. The next step may be drawing a little bit closer, getting to know you a little bit more, understanding who you are. But for all of us, it's the shouting, it's the celebration of a brand new story. You gave me a new testimony. Thank you, Jesus. And everyone in this room shouted what? Shouted amen, right? Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextstepsjourneycommunity.net.